0: If you get a chance, Thursday was Shelby's birthday. Yeah. Be sure and tell Shelby happy. Let's just sing happy birthday to her. 25, right? She's 20, 26, I think. So, <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Shelby. Happy birthday to you. Anybody else have a birthday? this month, huh? Well, happy birthday if you did. I appreciate you, Shelby. She does so much for me, and she has to put up with a lot in putting up with me. Um, So, thank you, and happy birthday. All right, let's open our Bibles to John 15, and we're going to talk about knowing his joy today. Um, Knowing his joy. Now, this still is is within a theme of discipleship. I believe disciples of Jesus Christ should be the people with the greatest joy in their lives. But oftentimes, when we think of the church, when we think of religion, and I hate that word, though it's it's not a bad word, It's just often used in a bad context, and it carries a bad connotation. So we often think of those things uh, in a negative light. Through much of the history of the church, um, man has turned faith into something that's far too joyless. And uh, you can read history, watch movies, and even in our culture see the portrayal of of Christ and betrayal of his church and, and it will be portrayed as anything but joyful. But that's not what the Scripture communicates to us. That's not the truth. And so the Scripture communicates that joy, joy is to be something that that we not only um, are to have, we're we're to desire it, we're to seek after it, and we're to experience it. And in John chapter 15, in this famous chapter where Jesus um, talks about, I am the true vine and you are the branches and my Father is the vine dresser. And and he goes on in verse 8 and he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And in Galatians 5.22, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. And these are the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, joy. Peace, and we see that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And when Jesus talks about our fruitfulness, these are the things that are to be manifest and produced in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, um, self-control. These things that are characteristic of who God is are to be parts of our life. They're to be produced through our lives and in our lives. And Jesus says, By the bearing of much fruit, my Father is glorified. And He goes on, He says in verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things, verse 11, I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And so Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So we see that his joy becomes what? His joy becomes our joy. Because joy is not something we produce in and of ourselves. Joy doesn't come from us just like grapes don't come from an apple tree, right? Y'all have never picked grapes off an apple tree, have you? You haven't. Joy is not something that man produces. It's not a human characteristic. It's a divine characteristic. And it's a fruit that comes from the life of God. Whose life do we have? We have his life. It's no longer I who live. Paul says in Galatians 2:20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So that life of Christ that is in us, it is that life that is producing His joy. But He has given us His joy to be our very own. And His desire is that our joy be full. Jesus, very shortly after this, they they, they leave the upper room. They're, they're having the, the meal together and... As Jesus goes into the garden, he begins to pray. And his prayer in John 17, 13 is this, But now I come to you, he's speaking to the Father, he says, Now I come to you, that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus is praying, and he prays for his disciples, but... He says, not only do I pray for these disciples, but I pray for those who will believe as a result of their words. Guess what? That's us today. We believe today as a result of those disciples who went out and proclaimed the gospel. And the prayer of Jesus for all of us who have believed that proclaimed word, who have believed the gospel, is that His joy would be fulfilled in us. So, God wants us to be joyful. Faith should be a joyful thing. Your life in Christ, everything about it should be a joyful thing. It really should be. Desiring, seeking, and experiencing His joy. So, joy, here's something I think is real important. We oftentimes, We understand joy from a worldly point of view. So, in the world, oftentimes, joy and suffering are mutually exclusive things. Or we confuse joy with happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, as I experience the joy of the Lord, can I be happy? (laughs) Absolutely. But... But happiness is not always something that goes along with every experience or circumstance in life, right? It's it's hard to be happy and at the same time be experiencing something that might be very traumatic or very tragic in our life. But the Bible teaches us, though, that joy is something that is to abide with us and, and manifest in us and be full in us at all times. So joy and suffering, in the world's point of view, often are mutually exclusive things. They, don't, they, they can't exist together. But that's not what the Scripture teaches. So, and, and the reason I'm talking about this is because a lot of times people that have experienced very... Um, They've had a lot of tragedy in their life, or they've experienced something that's, that's just been really sad or hard. You know, the world is full of people. That that is the world. Jesus said, "In this world, you will have tribulation." As a pastor, I I I talk with people, uh, and sometimes I can walk away from visiting with somebody and. It's like, my goodness. The level of pain and the level of suffering that, that, that individuals go through. Apart from the Lord, it would be absolutely overwhelming. And beyond our ability to, to endure. And so, for a, a people... For some people who have experienced those things, oftentimes they, they may feel excluded from God's joy. And oftentimes when people come and talk to me, that's, that's kind of where they're at. It's like, okay, I've experienced this, this has been going on, and I don't know what to do with it. And I believe Jesus, think about this, in John 15, Jesus is telling his disciples these things, knowing that he is getting ready to go and die on the cross, knowing that these guys have pinned everything, every hope upon him. And he knew that they would stand there and see him die on that cross, and and with his death on the cross, in their minds, in their lives, at that moment, every bit of hope, every bit of promise, everything they had put everything, they, they burned their bridges, they put everything in him. And they were going to watch it die on the cross with him. Jesus understood that that's how they were going to feel. And they were going to become utterly hopeless and despondent. But yet he's saying, I'm speaking these things to you that my joy will remain and your joy will be full. And Fullness of joy doesn't mean that we never go through those times in life when we feel like the disciples did or we feel like Mary. Think about Mary. It was prophesied to Mary when Jesus was just a baby. He is a baby in the arms of Mary. And Mary and Joseph carry Jesus into the temple. He is is just barely over a month old. The days of her purification had to pass, and then after that, she carried Jesus into the temple, and here comes a prophet, Simeon, and a prophetess, Anna. And they prophesy over the baby Jesus. And one of the things that Simeon said to Mary, he said, Mary, this child... Because of what's going to happen with this child, in essence, here's what he says, a sword will pierce your heart. We see in John's gospel that Jesus is on the cross and his mother is there. The sword is piercing her heart as she watches her son not just die, but die horribly under the most false and intense of accusations. And she can do nothing about it. But yet the words of Christ remain. That God's intention for us, God's desire for us, is that his joy in us would be full. That his joy would become our joy, even in the midst of such great suffering. So we see in the scripture that suffering and joy are not mutually exclusive. In, in, to the contrary, they often go hand in hand. And they are... It is a phenomenon, it is something that, that God has received glory In the kingdom of God, joy and suffering can walk together hand in hand, and they can also walk in God's glory. Ephesians, I mean Hebrews 12.2. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus. This is an exhortation to us as believers. Believers, look unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is joy and suffering mingled together at the cross. And the scripture says, God endured, Jesus Christ endured the suffering, the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. In the midst of his suffering, there was joy and that joy enabled him to endure. So joy... Joy is something that we are to desire, something we are to seek after, something that God intends on us to experience. Now think about this. My parents were were my parents were older. So my dad, for instance, was, was born in 1912. My mom was born in 1922. And so my dad was an adult uh, during the depression. My both my parents grew up as children of the depression and and and, and endured during that time. My dad was a World War II vet and, and, and fought in Europe and went through all of that. And so as a child growing up, I really had a different perspective on things than a lot of kids my age had because my parents were so much older. And I would sit around, consequently all my aunts and uncles were older too, you know, and I'd sit around and listen to them talk about all these things. And it was really fascinating um, but when you stop and think today, those things are hard for people today to relate to. The Great Depression, is it was hard for me to relate to because I didn't grow up in the Great Depression. You know, I was born in 1961. Uh, and so I never got drafted. I never fought in a war. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't experience. i I lived a very... Good life and good in the sense that, you know, there was always food on the table, I had a nice home, a nice family, we weren't rich by any means, Uh, quite the contrary, I didn't realize how not rich we were most of the time, because, you know, my parents just, you know, I just grew up and was happy and everything was great. Uh, And and so it's hard for us oftentimes to relate to a lot of those things, a lot of the things that people have experienced And But here's an interesting phenomenon. Um, now today, in light of all of the things that are happening, and we're, we're pretty sheltered here in Texas, uh, when you consider that there are places in the country uh, unemployment averages over 9% right now. There are places in the nation where unemployment is well over 20%, uh, probably reaching close to 30% in some places, in some towns, in some areas. And so what we see today happening is There are people today who are experiencing things that that they never dreamed they would experience. Uh, Really and truly as Americans, we've lived in relative luxury and and ease compared to most of the world. And and so now we're starting to kind of see things and hear about things and read things and we're hearing the faint possibility that things we always thought would be there and and be part of our life might not always be there, and might not always be a part of our life and and quite frankly, a lot of people are scared by it. a lot of people are uh, don't know what to do about it. there is great stress there's great strain um, in, in a lot of people's lives as a result of of things that are happening and so what that is doing is causing people to to experience and go through things that that they haven't before and And they're beginning to question things. And they're fearful. And some people are turning to God, other people are blaming God. Well, what do we do? What do we do as believers, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do we do in the midst of all this? How do we help people? And the answer to that question is we we have to help them find the one who is the only answer. Who has the only answer. who who really has what they need and what they truly, I believe, are, are searching for in the depths of their soul, whether they know it or not. And so, in the midst of all of the uncertainty, in the midst of everything that's happening today, here's what Jesus said. He said, I speak these things to you that my joy may remain. His joy has remained. His joy has never left. His joy has never departed. It hasn't. Whether you have found it or not, whether uh, you know people that have found it or not, really is irrelevant. Whether I found it or not, doesn't mean anything. His joy remains. So the question becomes, if his joy remains, is my joy full? Is our joy full? And that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. So, is it... You know, when we talk about church, a lot of times, as pastors, um, you know, we want... We say, don't be selfish. We kind of had this discussion today in in the adult Bible study. It's kind of interesting. I was sitting there listening uh, as they kind of touched on this. And... um, and we shouldn't live selfish lives. But the reality is, if, if you guys weren't expecting to get something, to receive something from God, to get something out of your faith, I don't think you would be here today, would you? I mean, it may be nothing more than, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to go to church. But there's still an element of selfishness there, if, even if that's your motivation. And the thing that we need to understand is that Jesus never said that we are to live a life of total sacrifice, void of any joy. On the contrary, that's not what he taught. He said, I'm telling you these things because my joy, that my joy will remain and that that your joy will be full. How did he say it? These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You know, I think I told you this. One of the things that we learned in the Greek class, it was, I thought, really interesting, this word might, may. You read that oftentimes in your Bible that he might save. Might and may leave a kind of a question of, well, maybe so, might, he might, but he might not, right? That's not really what's communicated. I'm going to Terry's house that we might build a house. If I'm going to Terry's house to build a house, it's not that we might or we might not. We might build a house or we might go fishing. Well, if it's up to Terry, we're going to go fishing. But, but, but if we say we're going to go that we might build a house, it's not a question of we might or we might not. We're really making a statement of what we're going to do. We're going to go build a house. Or we're going to go to Terry that we might go fishing we go we're going to go fishing (laughs) either one so he's not saying that that my joy may remain it may or may not remain with you that's to be seen oh it may remain or it may not no that's not what he's saying he's saying i speak these things that my joy may in other words my joy will remain god's not leaving an open-ended question here whether it may or may not remain that's not what it means He's saying, my joy will remain. And my desire is that your joy would be full. My joy is going to remain that your joy will be full. Is it okay to desire joy in our life? Yes, it's okay. It really is. But we need to understand where joy truly comes from and what joy truly is. There's a lot of people trying to find joy out in the world and they're looking in all the wrong places, chasing after all the wrong things, desiring the wrong things, seeking the wrong things, experiencing the wrong things. It has a form of joy, but it's really not joy. Because remember, what is joy? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That means true joy can only come from one place. So joy is something that we all desire. And I submit to you that Christianity that is joyless is not Christianity as Christ intended it to be. Christ never intended our Christianity or our faith to be without joy. And we say, think about Jesus. How did Jesus have Joy on the cross, yet the Bible says that He did. He endured that for the joy that was set before Him. He knew of that joy. He experienced that joy. He could see that joy. He could taste that joy. He, he knew. He endured what He did for that joy. That joy was real to Him. And the joy was so real that it enabled Him to endure all that He endured. That means the joy was greater than his suffering. The problem is we can't see that joy. We can't find that joy. We don't experience that joy the way Christ did. Yet Christ says in his very word that he wants us to experience joy in that way. He never said, "You will never suffer on this world on this Earth." He, and quite the contrary, he says, "In this world, you will have tribulation." But be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. How can we find his joy in the midst of the tribulation that exists in this world? Can we? The answer is yes, and we must. But we're not going to find it outside of him. We're not going to find it in all the things that we commonly try to find it in. It might not look the way we think it's going to look. It might not come in the package that we are expecting it to come in. But nonetheless, His joy remains and He desires that our joy be full. So joy comes from the life of the Spirit. Jesus promises His joy will remain, and He desires that our joy will be full. And that joy is found in Christ. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1. He writes to the believers, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. "...that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love." All of us fall into that category. Whom, having not seen, we love. Peter saw Jesus person to person, face to face. He's writing to believers who have never seen Jesus person to person, face to face. Yet, they love him as though they have. They love him as Peter loves him. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Now, what what does he say about these believers. In First Peter chapter one, verses six through eight. He says that they have been grieved by various trials. He doesn't deny the reality of their situation. And here's here's another thing that we often do in our Christianity today. We live in denial. You guys know denial's not a river in Egypt, right? But people live in denial. And so we create theologies and we create things and we take scriptures and we just kind of pretend like that's not real. Oh, don't talk about that. Because if you talk about that, then that might happen to you. Where does the scripture say that? It doesn't say that. We can't go around living in denial. We've got to deal with the reality of life. Do we believe that God is bigger than the reality of my life? Do you believe God is bigger than the reality of your life, church? Whether you believe it or not, guess what? He is. It doesn't really matter whether you believe it. The reality is, He is bigger. But that gives us every reason to believe that He is. Why? Because He truly is. So Peter says, hey, you guys have gone through various trials. Your faith is being tested but he, he says, they're rejoicing, even though now for a little while, if need be, if need be, you're going to go through various trials. Have you ever said, you know, God, I think I need to go through a really tough trial. Would you give me one? Who's ever said that? Raise your hand if you've ever said that. <laughs> No, we don't say that, do we? Because we don't have to ask for God to send trials to us, do we? They come. But I think it's interesting. Peter says, if need be, if you need to have this happen, you will go through this. And your faith will be tested. But when it's all said and done, you're going to see that your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. In other words, let's read between the lines here, church. What is Peter saying? He's saying, listen, believers, don't get discouraged. Keep rejoicing. God has a purpose in everything that he is doing. And even through these various trials that you are going through, here is the good news. Your faith that is being tested, the genuineness of your faith is going to shine forth like refined gold. Matter of fact, he says it's going to be better than refined gold because gold perishes But what God is working in you is not going to perish. It is eternal. It is eternal. You rejoice. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Man, that's the kind of joy I want to tap into. I want to have in my life a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. I can't explain to you why I'm joyful. There's nothing in my life that says I should be joyful, but I have a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. That's not a fairy tale. God has made provision for us to live in, to walk in, to experience that kind of joy. He really has. That's why Christ died. That is the joy that He saw before Him, that He endured the suffering and the shame. That same joy that He experienced is the same joy that He wants to be manifest in our lives. This is His prayer in John seventeen thirteen. But now I come to you, Father... And these things I speak in the world that they, those who believe in me through their words, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That they too would have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That they too would have a joy that would cause them to endure the suffering and the shame that they will experience in this world, but they will have something greater than the suffering, greater than the shame. It will be a joy inexpressible and full of glory. Do you believe, do you believe that you can have that? Do you believe that God wants you to have that? Yes, he does. Do you desire that? Well, sure you do, right? But are you seeking that? Because desiring something and seeking something are two different things. Now, we've got to keep something that's very important in mind here. What is joy? I've got to bring you back to this. What is joy? It is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy's not somewhere buried in the ground out there, and we're going to go on a treasure hunt and try to find joy and expressible and full of glory. And when I find it, I'm going to keep it for my own. The joy's not out there. You know where joy is? Joy's in here. Yep, well, I don't feel it, I don't see it. Chances are, if you don't feel it and you don't see it, the people around you probably don't feel it and see it either, right? I mean, when I'm grumpy, my wife always tells me, you are setting the mood for the whole house when you get grumpy. So when I ain't feeling the joy, guess what? I don't know if it's true or not, but, but probably all those other people around me, they ain't feeling it either, <laughs> Here's the thing. Where is it? Joy's not out there. Joy is in here. Where does the fruit of the vine come from? It doesn't come from out there. We don't go to H-E-B and glue grapes onto our grapevines, do we? You can try that. It ain't going to work. Now, they're produced from inside. They come from the life that's flowing from the vine. It comes from the root. Joy. Joy is in here. You might not believe that. There may be some wives here today saying, I don't I don't believe Joy's really in my husband. There may be some husbands here saying, I really don't believe Joy's in my wife. There may be some kids here. They're not they're all next door. Well, a few of them are in here saying, Huh, it's not in my parents. <laughs> it wasn't when they spanked me last night. Well, it might have been. You just might have misunderstood what they were really doing. They might have very joyfully, they might have joyfully spanked you because they love you so much. That's right. You kids, that's the truth. That is the truth. That's that's why they should. If they have to spank you, that's why they should. They should joyfully discipline you because they love you that much. So seeking His joy for ourself, listen, seeking His joy for ourself is not selfish. It's really not. There's nothing wrong with you desiring His joy and desiring that your joy be full. That's not selfish. And it's certainly not selfish when we selfish or selflessly spread the joy to those around us. I mean, fruit on a tree is for people to partake of, right? Fruit in the life of the believer is for people to partake of. There is a benefit that comes to us, but the benefit doesn't stop with us. But if I'm going to spread joy to you, I've got to get some myself, right? So I'm going to reap the benefit of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I should seek to have the fullness of his joy in my life. Coming and assembling together as the saints, as the believers, should be something that that contributes to, that facilitates that joy. If this is nothing more than a religious obligation, because you don't want to go to hell, or you really need your bills paid right now, and so I'm going to start going to church more faithfully, or I'm going to do this more. You know what that is? That's called witchcraft. Now, we don't think of it as witchcraft, but what we're doing is we're manipulating God. I'm going to do this to try to manipulate God. If I do this, God will do this. We shouldn't do things with that intention. Intention. Our desires and what we're seeking should, should be much greater than something on that level. Because joy is not dependent upon my circumstances. My circumstances may be horrible, but in the midst of my horrible circumstances, God says to me, my joy remains and I still desire for your joy to be full. So in desiring and seeking his joy, we will unselfishly affect those around us, hopefully. In giving of ourselves, we receive, right? When we give, we receive. We shouldn't give to receive, but there is an understanding that when we give, there is also something that we can expect to receive. I mean, the Bible talks about this. It's not selfish to reap the benefits of giving and receiving. It's selfish to seek them only for ourselves, not considering one another. If you only show love to people because you want them to selfishly love you, well, there can be something wrong there. We're commanded to love unconditionally. Jesus brings this out in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, hey, anybody can love those who love you. But can you love your enemies? Can you pray for those who spitefully use you? Can you bless those who curse you? This is what Jesus is asking. So the love of God transcends what I get back in return. Can I find joy in loving my enemies? That's a question I need to ask myself. Can I find joy in blessing those who curse me? In praying for those who spitefully use me, can I find joy in that? The scripture says yes. I must find joy in that. Because Jesus died for us while we were his enemies, the Bible says, yet he endured that suffering for the joy that was set before him. So, in showing mercy, is it not selfish to desire mercy for ourselves? No. How many of y'all want mercy? Only me and Steve and You want mercy, trust me, you really do want mercy. When you stand before God one day, you I promise you, you want mercy. You want mercy. You you don't deserve it, but you're gonna want it. And and you will receive it, not because you deserve it, but because of what he has done. But but yet the scripture commands us to be merciful. Why? Because God has been merciful to us. So in showing mercy, do I want mercy in return? Absolutely. Do I go around thinking, now let's see, I need to show mercy to this person because now I'm a little short on mercy so I need some more mercy in my account. So I'm going to... No, we don't do that. Why? Because that's something that should just flow from us. Where does it flow from? It flows from the life that's in us. What life is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In blessing, we seek blessing. In helping others discover joy, it's not selfish to seek to experience that joy ourselves or to expect even to experience joy ourselves. We need to help people find His joy. There are a lot of people who, who are wondering where their joy is going to come from and the reality is they're in Christ and Christ is in them and they have no clue that the joy is there. They just don't know it. Because they've let the world and they've let their circumstances and they let all of those things that they think are mutually exclusive to that joy bury them. And a lot of people are living under the weight of those things and they have no joy. They can't find any joy. This is the condition of the world right now. People don't know what to do. They're confused. And we have the answer. How are we going to reveal that answer to them if we don't know it ourselves? So we've got to desire it, but we also have to seek after it. When you build up the body of Christ, guess who's being built up at the very same time? You are. There's joy in that. Now, I want to I I I get to the end here. I don't want to keep you late today, but I want to finish all that I really want to say to you. So we, we need to desire His joy. We need to seek His joy. And if we're desiring and seeking, what is the end of that? What is it that God wants us? Does He want us just to desire and seek? He wants us to experience it, doesn't He? I mean, to say that I desire it, to say that I'm looking for it, but if I never experience it, what good is it? If Jesus came to save me, but I never experience His salvation, what good is that? Jesus didn't die on the cross hoping that men might get saved. He died on the cross to accomplish men's salvation. He didn't speak these things hoping we might find it one day, we'll see. No, he spoke those things and he said that my joy will remain and that your joy will be full. He really wants us to experience the fullness of joy. And we don't experience joy based on our circumstances. We experience his joy in spite of our circumstances. Now, y'all all know what circumstances are, right? Some are good, some are bad and some are ugly. Y'all ever seen that movie, "The Good, the Bad and the Ugly? <laughs> it's what they call the spaghetti Western." Anyways, circumstances are like those three guys. Some are good, some are bad and some are ugly. But my joy is not based on you know, I don't have joy if all my circumstances are good. If I can manage the bad and the ugly out of my life and keep only the good, then I'll have joy. No, that's not the way it works. When we talk about these things that affect our life, circumstances that create stress and strain in our life, and they affect our relationships, they affect relationships at every level. But something that's really important for us to understand, the relationships that we have in the kingdom of God are based on covenant. It's it's like a marriage. This is why marriage is important. God created marriage because he had a picture before creation that he was going to, to paint through the marriage relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Our relationship with God is a covenant relationship. Therefore, our relationship with one another is a covenant relationship. And so covenant relationships aren't based on things always being ideal, but they're based on the promise that in spite of less than ideal circumstances, God is working all things together for good, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things together for good to those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. I, I want to ask you a question And I want each of you in your heart and your mind to answer this question. Do you love God? No one else knows the answer to that except God and you. So when I ask you, do you love God? And if your answer to that question is, yes, I love God. I didn't ask you if you were perfect. I didn't ask you if you do everything right. I didn't ask you if you've ever made mistakes i said do you love god and if the answer to that question is yes i love god then you can be assured that god loves you because here's the principle we did not first love god but he loved us first god loved we love god john says why because he loved us first jesus says in the gospel of john he says you didn't choose me I chose you. You don't love me. I loved you first. So this is important. If you can say in your heart, yes, I love God, then you can know with all assurance that God loves you because you can't love God unless he first loved you. And if you love God, as you hear the sounds of my voice, Words and you hear the scriptures I'm quoting, God works all things together for good to those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. If God in His grace has allowed you to love Him, to respond to His love, I believe that in His grace you are called according to His purpose. And that means whatever may be happening, whatever may have, is, or will transpire in your life, the promise of God is that He will work all things together for good. This is a promise that God gives us. Why? Because we're in a covenant relationship with Him. This is part of the covenant. It's not based on me doing everything right, because we don't do most things right. We do most things, most everything, wrong many times. But in spite of all of our mistakes, guess what? God says, My promise to you, covenant child, that I love and that I've called, I will work all things together for good. And what is that ultimate working together? What does that look like? He goes on in the very next verse. Let me just read it to you from Romans chapter 8. Because the Bible can say it a whole lot better than I can. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Verse 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. What is God ultimately working in your life and in my life? He is, working. he is working in us that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. Well, I made a mistake ten years ago. I made a mistake ten months ago. I made a mistake ten days ago, ten hours ago, ten minutes ago. Guess what? God is not going to stop working conforming you to the image of the Son, because that's what He has destined you to be. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So in the midst of that working, in in and through all things, we are to find and experience what? The superabundance of His joy, the fullness of His joy. Did Jesus have joy? Oh, yes, he did. Was he a man of sorrows? Yes, he was. Was the fact that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, does that mean that he didn't have any joy? Absolutely not. In the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of his grief, his joy was full. Why? Because he knew something that transcended his circumstances. Do you know something today? That transcends your circumstances. Do you know someone today who transcends your circumstances? His name is Jesus. Do you believe what he has declared in his word? That in spite of the things that might have gone wrong. But this, in spite of the things that, that might not have been or are good in your life right now. Do you believe because of your love for him and the call that he has placed on your life. What is that call? That call is to be conformed to the image of the Son. Do you believe that God will perform His Word and fulfill His Word and work all things together for good? Can you find joy in the midst of that? Can you find joy? Only in Him can we experience that joy. Why? Because it comes from His life. So what happens when we don't begin to understand, when we don't fully comprehend how these things work together? If we don't begin to see beyond just our, with our natural eyes and understand beyond just with our carnal mind, if we don't begin to see and, and comprehend these things, that, that it doesn't make logical sense It doesn't make sense according to the way the world looks at things, but, but according to what God has said in his word, in spite of my circumstances, God says I can have fullness of joy. Now, what are circumstances? Are circumstances eternal? They're not. Matter of fact, most circumstances are very temporary. Is your life... The life you have right now in this flesh and blood body, is it eternal? Your natural life, is your natural life eternal? Your natural life's not eternal. Your eternal life is eternal. You have eternal life inside this natural body, but this natural body is going to die one day or be changed one day. It has to. The Bible says it has to. That's not a scary thing, that's just reality. If we only see to the end of this natural body, that can be a scary thing, right? Circumstances are natural things, they're temporal things. They don't last forever, they are temporary. But God has made a promise to you in Christ that is eternal, that transcends your circumstances. I want to read a quote to you from a gentleman named Martin Lloyd Jones. He's an English fellow. And he quotes from from an old hymn. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace, that, that love to know, spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me, it is so. Oh, this full, this perfect peace. Oh, this transport, all divine. In a love which cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. And Martin Lloyd-Jones asked this question. He says, do you hear the echo of the song of Solomon in that piece from that hymn? Is it the experience of God's people throughout the centuries, in spite of all variations in circumstances and conditions? Can that be our song?" in spite of all variation of circumstances and conditions. Can we sing that song? Oh, this full, this perfect peace, oh, this transport all divine in a love which cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. In all variations of circumstances and conditions, can I know that, he, that his love is mine, in spite of the variation, in spite of the circumstances? So can we appropriate this language in any measure This is what is being offered us in the New Testament. This is true Christianity. Not men and women struggling to hold on and with a great effort of the will, just managing to keep themselves religious. That is a terrible contradiction of what we have here. And of course, that is what has antagonized so many non-Christians If we give the impression that the main effect of Christianity is to make us miserable, then it is not surprising that 90% of the people are outside the Christian church. Miserable Christians. This is the people outside saying, Miserable Christians, look at them. And they add that they, those people outside say, that they have... True joy. Not the Christians. Look how miserable the Christians are. They have life. They have joy. They have fullness. He says, shame on us, Christian people. But it is not merely a question of saying, shame on us. What a terrible responsibility is ours if we are so misrepresenting this glorious gospel of the blessed God. We are meant to be witnesses to all people that we are filled to overflowing. We are meant to show the truth of the psalmist's words, my cup runneth over. Does that mean that we experience only things that are happy and only things that are conducive to what we call joyfulness all the time? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. It does mean, however, that in spite of less than happy or joyful experiences and seasons that come into our life, His joy remains and our joy is to be full. So what, is, what do we gather from what Jesus... Just the two verses that I read from you in John's Gospel, the prayer of Jesus and the ex- exhortation of Jesus to His disciples... That we are to desire, we are to seek, and we are to experience His joy. And that joy is described in the Scripture as unspeakable and full of glory. And there is no formula. I want you to hear this. There is no formula for that joy. You don't get joy through a formula. We live in a formula society. We want a formula for everything. Three easy, five easy, seven easy, ten easy, twelve easy steps to joy. We could go write a book and title it that and probably sell some copies. But it's not, it's not something we can reduce down to a formula. I always ask this question. Husbands, wives, what was the formula you used to fall in love with your spouse? Well, there wasn't one, was there? If we were to take a survey of every husband and every wife here and ask them how they came to love one another, I would venture to say that many of you would say, well, I don't really know how to describe it. I can tell you the circumstances surrounding it, and we can give you places and times and dates, but there's not really a formula. These things just happen. It's kind of the way joy is. But but here is what we do have. There is no formula, but there is only the fertile ground of our heart that God has prepared for the planting of His seed. In the watering of His Word. And from that, He will bring the increase that can only come through the power of His Spirit. Joy has to come from the fertileness of our heart. Are you hearing me, church? God's ordained that this kingdom activity and growth to fruitfulness does not happen apart from prayer. Prayer that as His joy remains, your joy would be full. That prayer should be for ourself. That prayer should be for one another. But mostly that prayer should be for His glory. There's not a formula. But through prayer you can cultivate a desire. Through prayer you can seek. God will take the ground of your heart that he has prepared, water it with his word, and trust the holy spirit to bring the increase of fruit. And what is what is that fruit? That fruit of the spirit? It's love. It's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness. Galatians 5.22. Joy is not something you're going to get from out there. Joy is something that's going to be cultivated and grown and manifest from the fertile ground of your heart. Is your heart fertile? Has God implanted His seed in your heart? If you're a believer here today, He has. Are you allowing the word, the water of the word, to work on that implanted seed? Is the only time you get the water of the word the hour and a half you're here on Sunday morning? Now, I don't believe in being legalistic about reading your Bible or doing anything else. If if the only reason you're going to read your Bible and pray is out of a sense of legalism, you might do that for a time, but you're not going to keep it up. So don't don't even start there. Just like if the only reason you're loving your husband or your wife is out of a sense of legalism, well, it's just a matter of time before you're going to see divorce court. But if you can find it within yourself and you can trust God to do a work in you because this is the work that He's doing in you. He wants to to cause this garden to grow. This is organic. This is life. This isn't a formula. This is life. And He wants to organically cause the fruitfulness to begin to spring up from your heart. Is your heart such that that is your desire? Is that what you're seeking? Is that what you are experiencing? That's what God wants you to seek. What he wants you to experience. His declaration to us in Luke 11.9 is, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He goes on he says, If you ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit, He will give it to you. And if He will give you the Holy Spirit, I promise you He will not withhold His joy from you. He's already given it to you. You just don't know. Galatians six nine. here's where a lot of people are. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't lose heart as He was going through His scourging? As He had to carry that heavy cross to the very place they would nail Him to it, and thrust that cross into the, into the ground there, and he would hang there and die. Aren't you glad he didn't lose heart? Not, not one of us is being asked to do that in the same way Jesus did it. But there are other things coming against our lives, and there are Christians losing heart every day And I submit to you, they're losing heart every day because they do not know and they have not found His joy that transcends the circumstances, the stress, the strain of life that they're buckling under. But here's the good news. Even in those situations, God will turn those situations and He will create inside the heart of His people a desire. And that desire birthed in their heart will cause a seeking to begin to take place. And Jesus promised that if we ask, it will be given. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, it shall be opened. Just don't grow weary while you're asking, while you're seeking, and while you're knocking. Because if you'll not lose heart, you will reap in due season, I promise you. And God wants you reaping. He wants your harvest to be full for His glory. Amen? Let's all stand. Joy. Finding His joy. I want to challenge you that in everything you do, not just your time here on Sunday morning, because you're not a Christian just while you're here. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ everywhere you go, regardless of what you're doing. And I want to challenge you to begin to find His joy, to begin to desire and seek after and experience His joy in everything you're doing in your life, from the most mundane to the most intense and difficult circumstances and situations you may find yourself in. Can you know His joy even in the midst of those things? And I submit to you, you can and you will if you seek after it. Father... I pray that we would, as your people, find your joy. And even as you said, Lord, you've spoken these things, that your joy would remain and that our joy would be full. Father, I pray today that for your church, for your people, that we would find the fullness of joy. That Lord, we would would reveal something to the world, that we would manifest something to the world, not some dead, dry religion, not some religious obligation that we're having to do out of fear, or out of guilt, or out of a sense of condemnation. But Lord, we are doing what we are doing. We are walking this walk of faith, Lord, because it is our greatest joy that, Lord, we come here, yes, selfishly to receive and to experience your joy. But Lord, we don't receive that and experience that and keep it to ourselves, Father. But we... Lord, we are fruitful trees for all to partake of. Father, I pray that our fruitfulness would be great and that you would receive great glory from the fruit that's produced in our lives. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to do the work that only you can do. Prune us, clean us, do the work. Make us fruitful branches, Father, for your glory. And also for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.